Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. I'm Nicole Webb Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Thank you for joining us as we bring together leaders and changemakers from across the healthcare industry. In each high-impact segment, you'll hear about the latest challenges organizations are facing and learn how guests are rewiring solutions to drive real change. Plus, you'll walk away from each episode with practical tools, techniques, and best practices to implement in your own role and in your organization. For more information on your host or to listen to recent episodes of the podcast, please visit www.healthcareplussg.com slash podcast. Now, here's your host, Quint Studer, who will introduce you to our next guest. Hi, this is Quint Studer, Healthcare Plus podcast, and I have with me David Bartholomew, and I'm very excited about this whole whole situation. Um, David and I are on a number of things together. And of course, they were nice enough to publish a new book with Dr. Catherine Meese and I, The Human Margin on Trust. But I'm really excited about the conference coming up, the, the Congress, um, Big Ideas. And I was there last year and I was blown away. 5,000 plus people, 300 plus speakers. And I love the, the diversity, the early careerist to the real veterans, to small, to big, it just if you can't find a best practice or a solution at this conference, it's it's impossible not to if you go and you're awake. And plus the enthusiasm and the sharing, I thought was was really great. And it seems like this conference, you've even taken it up a notch, which I didn't think you could after last year. So why don't you talk a little bit about the conference and what was your biggest challenge that for this year, because you're almost people are going to compare it to last year. And what's the biggest challenge you've seen in the industry this last year? Thanks, Quint. And thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it and the collaboration with you uh, on this and all the support that you give to ACHE uh, generally. I, I truly appreciate that. I think, you know, the biggest thing that has um, happened different this year is we've continued to understand some of the core concerns that we know are represented in the healthcare leadership community. So, I mean, obviously last year was the first year that workforce surfaced to the very height of um, major concerns for CEOs. We do an annual study every year at ACHE, and that was the, the first year that that had surfaced to, number one, above financial constraints and sustainability. So again, this year that is represented once more. And so a lot of the way that we've approached the big ideas uh, theme, which I'm super excited about because I think it's optimistic and there's a lot of reason to be optimistic in life generally and specifically in healthcare, um, is, is recognizing that things are evolving. There are a lot of challenges. There's constraints, um, financial, budgetary um, labor. And all of those things require solutions. And those solutions might require a collaborative environment to really generate something that is different, um, nuanced to the individual needs of whatever community people are serving. And so I think the way that we thought about content, um, which was probably our biggest challenge, I think we really did a great job last year. I'm very, very proud of the team and all that they've been able to put together um, for, for the delivery of content, which is our core focus for this event. But we thought, let's look outside of industry that is traditionally represented by ACHE, and let's pull in some other um, types of perspectives. Let's understand that healthcare isn't the only disrupted environment that 
every part of our lives has been disrupted the last um, 20 years, if you will, um, perhaps more. And so I think we're just trying to understand what we need to up our game. And I think we've, we've really done it this year. When you talk about disruption, it's interesting because I always tell people in healthcare, the thing they have to be careful of is not to think they're unique and particularly falling into terminal uniqueness, that we're different from everybody else you don't understand. So what kind of disruption are, are you talking about? Yeah, so I think when we think of disruption, a lot of times in um, at Congress and other environments that we are delivering to healthcare professionals, a lot of people distill to retail health, consumerism, those types of things that were very prevalent even before the pandemic. But now I think we're really uh, evolving to a whole nother level of understanding, you know, where is care going to be delivered? Is it going to be delivered in the home? Is it going to be delivered in a traditional provider setting? Um, Is it going to require different kinds of teams, different kinds of structures? You know, what are the expectations of patients for patient care and, and their outcomes and how they want to navigate and manage that themselves? So there's so many different types of questions that have not even been you know, frankly, even asked uh, presently, but, you know, even answered um, to a greater degree. And so that's what this environment lets us do. We come together, we can talk and and understand um, what each individual's perspectives are and learn from those different, you know, types of uh, challenges that we're facing um, in the traditional hospital environment. I think but I read the curriculum and we're going to talk about a little more. I think somebody has to come in really open-minded. They're going to have to really be willing to and be willing. And I would say if they're not willing, be willing to be willing to look at things a little bit differently and so on, particularly when it comes to the skill set today that the disruption is bringing about that sort of what got you to where you're at might not take you to that next level. So when you look at the skill set for managing disruption, what what's ACHE? And when you looked at the content, what were your thoughts on that skill set you want people to walk away with? At least either if they don't have an understanding, they need to get it. Well, I think it's first and foremost like a change management mindset. Honestly, I mean, we have to be able to embrace that these things are happening to us. We have to recognize that they are occurring, that we cannot stop of the different disrupted environments. It's happened in every industry. I mean, we're not unique in healthcare, to your point. Um, Aviation is an example. Publishing, as we were talking about your book, that has been heavily disrupted. Entertainment. So, you know, there's no reason that it wouldn't have impacted healthcare as well uh, as technologies changed and expectations have evolved. But I think the way that we approach change and the way that we approach a disrupted environment it can lend itself to a variety of directions. So if we approach it with a positive engagement, with a recognition that embracing change can be a good thing and allow us to be more agile, adaptive, experimenting, experimenting with different kinds of concepts, um, learning through a rapid uh ideation process to try things out, understand what does and doesn't work, then we can cascade those types of um, of reflections back on the full broad team that we are managing and navigating. And so I think one of those pieces is really just developing um, an openness, as you said, a receptivity, agility, uh, and understanding how our own behavior towards change will impact those that we're leading. You mentioned that, you know, um, Regina Hersinger was nice enough to invite me to be on the Harvard Business School curriculum years ago. And the one thing we walked out with was every leader really needs to be skilled in change management, as you say. 
last year when we did the models of care study, one of the things we found that was sort of lacking in a way is leaders feeling comfortable with the change management, particularly how do you get people, because change means you're going to do things differently. And that's a struggle. In fact, we found only about 40% of the people are open to change. So you've got to figure out how to get the other 60% that are a little resistant. And because of last year, actually, the Ohio Mental Health an addiction department got so caught up on change. Um, they had me come in and talk to help them through with some epic installation. So I think this change thing, we worked really hard and long on this change process because what it was, it's not the technology change. It's almost the change on how to accept the technology and how to change, almost how to accept for people so they know what's in it for them and also going through the normal discomfort. So when you talk about that, why don't you talk about change just a little bit deeper and and still that why? Don't just I know you talk a lot, David, about keeping the why front and center. Yeah, the why has to be front and center, absolutely, because we're all going to undergo disrupted environments and we're all going to have to manage our own teams. And I think to your point, we don't know every skill set that's going to evolve. Um, we don't know what the exact environment for care delivery will look like five years, 10 years down the road. We can envision certain things that we're seeing now, and we're learning how to get people to adapt, to embrace that more, uh, whether it's, you know, their adaptation to telehealth that we've already experienced, you know, through the pandemic as an accelerant for that technology and delivery mechanism. But, you know, hospital at home is a whole new ballgame, for example, and how people have to rethink care design and delivery and those skills that are related to support that, whether it's a hard skill with technology or a soft skill with how we're approaching the technology to interact with patients and patient care. So I think we have to be able to exhibit that rationale to not only understand why we're doing it for ourselves, but why we're doing it for the teams that we are leading so that they can kind of exhibit those same lead behaviors um, throughout the entire environment. Because if we don't embrace change in a positive way, then that negativity will not only uh, prohibit our own personal growth, so that will you know, create a lack of success, uh, full outcomes for someone like, say, me, David Bartholomew at ACHE, but it also would impact my entire team. So if I'm not thinking through alternative mechanisms, even for, say, Congress, this event that we manage and I love, I think then we would have to really understand, okay, well, how does that that actually deploy with the behaviors that my team does to plan Congress and deliver it and essentially create an experience for an attendee that could be less stellar than it is, you know, in the past. So I think that as we think about our own demeanor, that's really critical and having people understand why we need to do something, at least from a brainstorming rethink um, ideation process, and then ultimately a, a recalibration, a recalibration of the processes that we're doing to deliver something is really important. And, and I think that is probably one of the most critical elements that exists. I think, David, what we're finding in, in our work as we go out there is maybe people have underestimated the amount of inexperience that sits in our organizations right now. You look at Congress, if you sat here and you had 50% of your team was brand new this year, weren't there last year, that'd be a real struggle. We find in, in inpatient hospitals, maybe 40 to 50% of the nurses weren't there three years ago. Maybe 50% of the managers are brand new. So I think not only understanding the change process in yourself, but understanding as these more inexperienced people, how do we narrow the scope 
and develop them in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. Because if you make them feel worse, you're not going to get that positivity. So, And that's where you get into some of your opening addresses and some of your keynote. You've really looked at your keynotes. You've thought about inexperience. You've thought about change. You've thought about adaptability. So I know Daniel Pink is delivering the opening address. Why would you choose him to kick it off, David? Well, I think, you know, leadership is really our core, um, our core area for content that we work on and focus on. ACHE is really a leadership development organization. So when we thought about an opening keynote, I think one of the things that we recognized is when you're talking about the need for big ideas, you really have to pull the whole team in and motivate them to um, to orient towards that that creative mindset. And so Dan Pink, I think, was a great um, pick, largely because he really focuses on what it takes to motivate the team, understanding um, your legacy, you know, that you had in terms of legacy behaviors and recognizing, you know, I think he just finished a two-year study on regret that is quite interesting and kind of different. You think, well, why are we talking about regrets at an opening session at Congress? But I think what he distilled to in his research is that regrets really identify the core values that people find um, of interest. And when you think about motivation, you have to go to those values that these people exhibit. What do we value as an organization? What do individuals value from us that are working for us? And, and so I think he's really going to talk about this, this notion of creating an environment that is oriented towards innovation and creativity. And how to do that is to unlock the power of the past so that you can really focus on the future. And I think that that's uh, an interesting concept that not many people talk about. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we're hopeful that it'll be a great opening session. I'm personally thinking it's going to be fantastic. But, you know, I, I think it's a different topic and I think it's one that will engage folks. No, I'm I'm very excited about it. I think too, um, one of the things for the listeners that I talk about is we don't we're not afraid of clinical trials. So if you look at clinical trials, when somebody has a clinical trial, so if I've got a certain disease or illness, they're going to give me the best treatment that they can. But I'm also going to be hoping they're doing clinical trials. And I don't say to them, why are you doing these clinical trials? I feel really, really good about that. And I find I want to go to a place that's involved and knows what the clinical trials are. Yet operationally, we're so cautious sometimes. We're cautious to try something different because it might fail. So we've been telling people, call it an operational trial, like a clinical trial, because you got to also give people the freedom to, to maybe fail, the freedom to look a little silly, the freedom to say this might not work, but it might. In clinical trials, we accept that. So if we can move that clinical trial mindset to operational trial, I think um, those are the organizations that are going to be benefit. Now, I think um, was a great choice. Well, let's talk about your luncheon choice, Carla Harris. She's going to do the luncheon presentation. Tell me why you selected her. Well, I think, first of all, Carla's not from healthcare. So I think that's the piece that we really wanted to continue to complement at Congress was pulling alternative thought leaders outside of healthcare, because we need to hear from others uh, about their perspectives of what is going on, not just in our own industry. I mean, healthcare is one of the largest pieces of you know our, our GDP, for example, in the U.S., so it's a really important industry. But really understanding from a 
you know, individual that's heavily involved in finance, like Carla Harris at Morgan Stanley. She's someone that also, I think, has a lot of different perspective on core leadership skills. And the thing that I like about Carla is that she takes um, these, these really great concepts of what you need to do to inspire others, to create a motivated team, really affect that next generation of you know, future leaders, which I think is really at its core what we need to focus on. Is, as you mentioned a second ago with you know, new individuals coming into nursing, how do we nurture our early careerists to pull them along the way? How do we continue to reinforce the needs of our our middle management so that they can rise to become senior leaders and then senior leaders so they can move on and graduate into the C-suite? So I think what Carla is going to talk about is understanding that the historical construct for leadership growth and development and how we think about motivating teams, it, it was very producer-based. It was very much like, you're the top surgeon, you're the top producer, you're the top salesperson. And now we really have to go to this concept of inspiration. People's, people's constructs for life have changed and evolved greatly since the pandemic. So part of what Carla is going to do is give us some practical insight, not only from a kind of strategic level, a high, you know, high uh, ceiling level to understand what we need to do as, a, as an executive, approaching a team and team development and motivation and inspiration, but really thinking through at its core, what can we do individually? Uh, What are the practical steps that we need to take to think about how we create uh, an atmosphere that's inspirational, that's motivating, and that is highly successful in producing? Because that's what the next iteration of this work is going to entail. You can't create a big idea and then not inspire and move people along with you, to your point about the why. Well, I think it's wonderful. I think people, what I look upon this, and you're looking around the corners, if you look at the latest research that we just did with Jocelyn Insights with nursing, and again, I'm telling because we did it with nursing, 92% of nurse managers wanted skill building, and they thought skill building was a reason to stay. 84% of frontline people want skill building. So if you have a retention strategy, skill building is is vital yet less than 50% think they're getting the skill building they need and people will stay even all the generations will stay if you feel like you're investing in them so i've always been a big believer skill building is an investment not not an expense i think the other thing you hit really well david that you'll bring up is people want to be individualized they don't want to go to a cattle call of three that maybe once in a while all learn something But then we've got to break it down like clinically, you know, a patient's N equals one. And I think, again, helping people know that you're an individual, our skill building's based on how to maximize your human potential as an individual. And if we're going to, again, workforce shortages, it's a lot of big part of it is also retention. And then we also, I believe, by retaining and making healthcare a joyful place to work, because we also, if you look at the birth record. We've got to get a heck of a lot more people attracted to healthcare. We got to get a bigger percentage coming into healthcare. And I think that's exactly what she can do. So what a great choice on you and your team's part. Well, you've got so many great speakers. What are some of the hot topics that um, we can expect when we get to the Congress? 
Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled about the hot topics. And to your point about the breadth of content, that's the other thing that I love about Congress is we literally have something for everyone. We we have a deep taxonomy. For us, you know, content is king. So really, you know, it's soft skills and it's foundational skills, those hard things that people need to know. So we have everything from, you know, finance and operations, all the core things that people need to understand to, you know, strategic innovation, et cetera. So I think when I think about you know, having a core value of content or core inventory of content that we deliver, you know, across the number of sessions that we have in at Congress, which I think there's about 165 this year, we have these kind of specific hot topics. So these are the things that people are talking about, the buzzwords. So one of them is AI. So we have Noelle Russell. She's from Accenture. She's the, um, the global lead at Accenture on AI. And I think she'll be fascinating. Her thing with AI is really built around responsible behavior and understanding this is a great emerging technology. So how do we take this technology and how do we provide some guardrails around it to understand that we can leverage the benefits for increased efficiency, for increased RO. This can actually impact things like workforce since you have the ability to make things easier for some of your clinical workforce um, uh, individuals. So I think that's one of the things that she's going to focus and hone in on is like, what, what are the responsible behavior with this technology? How do we need to approach it? How do you need as a leader to evaluate it? And then we've coupled uh, just to stay on the technology theme for a little bit, because we have so many in this same category. We have a, a number of other really large sessions on AI and chat GPT. Um, one of them that I'm really excited about is a Houston Methodist uh, uh, session that is really going to talk about a brand new hospital that they're building from the ground up, incorporating AI throughout the hospital as a pilot for the system. So I think that's going to be very, very fascinating with their director of innovation coupled with the CEO of that hospital. And then we have a roundtable on just the future of innovation in healthcare, which is going to largely center on these emerging technologies that are going to correspond with some of what we're talking about with Noel um, and AI at, at that hot topic. So I think that is an area of, of great interest to a lot of healthcare professionals because you read all of these things about AI and chat GPT in the news, and you don't really know, okay, how am I going to approach this? You have all these different vendors with solutions, but really at, at its core, what we need to do is teach leaders how to navigate the technology evaluate its utility, and then utilize practical and best case strategies that others have shown as a, as a good path forward with the kind of guardrails, as I mentioned, for governance to really ensure that you're leveraging something to the benefit of your organization. So I think that's going to be a really fascinating set of, of topics. And then the other uh, session that I would reference, uh, we have a whole disruptor session that is going to focus on retail health. I, I thought you have a lot of guts because, you know, what I love about what you're doing is you're not staying away from topics for the group. And I, I so when you talk about bringing disruptors in, that's exactly what you're doing. So I'm really impressed with your, your courage to, to sort of challenge the status quo. Well, thank you for that. And actually, that's attendee feedback. They wanted this. So so that, you know, we not only wanted it because we want to be the big tent place for interprofessional learning. We want people to come to an environment where they can hear what's happening because they have to plan for their own organizations. So I think that's that's a real critical piece. But attendees desire it 
because I think this gives them an opportunity for exposure in a safe place. And, and this session that I'm referring to is going to have the director for Walgreens Health Virtual Health um, Division. And it's going to also have the CEO of, uh, or the chief health officer from CityBlock. And we're going to add a payer, which obviously that sometimes can be um, challenging waters for our audience too, is that, that reimbursement side. But they're going to just talk about some of the things that they are doing um, and help people understand that uh, disruptors don't have to be your enemies. They can be your friends and you can evaluate and establish um, great partnerships in that same environment. So I'm pretty thrilled about that as, as another hot topic. I think it's going to be great. And I think you're right. You know, you have to say, well, how do we make this work for all of us? So going back to, I'm also impressed. I have a friend. Um, I'll give his name, Bill McMullen. He's a friend of mine in Janesville and his wife, Robin, has ALS. And mm. I've been going through that journey with them. And you've got um, somebody talking that's pretty knowledgeable on, um, you know, how to help populations that always have a lot of support like ALS and Parkinson's. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. And I mean, this is very personal to me. My mom had ALS and passed away last year. So I'm very intimately aware of the care that is required for people with that disease. Um, And and Nick Ebeling is, I think, who you're talking about. Uh, He is our Tuesday luncheon speaker. And Mick Eveling is the co-founder, or he's the founder and the CEO of um, Not Impossible Labs. And I think Mick is a phenomenal choice because one of the things that he has done is he's given quality of life to people that don't always have that. And I think that is a precious thing because even in kind of the midst of challenging situations like um, Parkinson's or ALS, you know, Patients can still find joy in their lives, and we have to we have to allow them to do that. It is about quality, great healthcare. You know, it's about delivering the services to those people, but it's also about the mundane things that keep them whole. And so, I think the the beauty of Mick's presentation is he's going to talk about um, finding ways to create solutions with everyday items. And he has done a phenomenal job with individuals to give them a sense of freedom when they don't always have that to enhance that quality. And I I think he's going to be a phenomenal speaker. He's also been involved with things like food insecurity during the pandemic. He was heavily involved in that. And I think he's he's got a passion and a heart for people that is, is really outstanding. But at its core, he's about creative learning. I mean, he's about finding a solution, pulling together people that don't always um, seem to be the right collaborators, but then ultimately they come up with this grand idea and a product that helps someone that needs a little bit better quality of life experience. So I think that's going to be a really great time. And for those of you, you know, this is audio. It's not visual, but if it was visual, you'd see two guys with tears in their eyes right now talking about this um, this keynote. But what about when you have a physician coming in that I think is really interesting with the technology, how the patient doesn't get lost with all the technology? Can you talk about that that presentation? Sure. That's Dr. Abraham Verghese, and he is um, he's going to be a great speaker. He is he's. First of all, he's got a great background. I mean, he he, he came to the U.S. Um, as a physician uh, to rural Tennessee in the midst of the AIDS crisis, um, landed literally treating AIDS patients in a very rural setting. And I think his his focus that he's going to talk about here really does center around technology and ensuring that patients don't get lost in the advancements. And I think that's also a little bit of mixed speech, too, by the way, uh, when you think about providing kind of wholeness to our 
patient population and figuring out how we can treat them, not only as um, someone that needs absolute care for an acute issue or a critical or terminal uh, disease, but really recognizing that they have other dimensions to themselves. And so I think his piece is really thinking about patient-centered approaches um, for communication. It'll be highly interprofessional um, because, you know, there's a whole interprofessional care team that deals with patients and patient environment that our audience is, is acutely aware of. And so I think that his 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 distilled topic really is understanding that at our core, we have certain um, values, we have certain ways that we like to be approached and dealt with, and kind of recognizing that humanistic element is very important to keeping us whole in that experience and giving us a deeper satisfaction, a better outcome. Well, you just hit it. And I think we're talking about technology. And I think, you know, we swing pendulums a little bit sometimes in healthcare. And I think years ago, we went relationship, relationship. And then I think it sort of swung toward transaction, you know, a checklist of this and an app for this. Or also, we might lose the people. And one of the things that you've talked about is at the end of the day, it's people we're saving. And it's people who are saving people. So talk about that transition and what you're going to bring in to talk about that big transition from hospitals and doctors and systems dictating to really a patient having a little more control and being in the driver's seat? Well, I think that goes back to the change management discussion that we had, to be honest. Um, You know, each one of us have changed and evolved. We all have different expectations as consumers, as humans, right? So we're, we're, technology is changing our perspectives on what we uh, want, when we want it, how we want it, um, and, and, and what we want, you know, uh, truly. So I think, the, the thing that we have to bridge in terms of the, the, the understanding of technology um, advances and emerging technologies like AI and ChatGPT, et cetera, hospital at home, is what makes most sense for the patient. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we can think through a clinical model and we say, okay, well, this patient should do A, B, C, D, E, F, but then the patient's really centered on, you know, LMNOP. And so really we have to think about you know, what are the pieces that we can deliver effectively? How can we work with people in an environment? I think this is particularly key with the hospital at home piece. I mean, that's to when I think about seniors and the growth of our senior population and things that make things easier are more difficult. My mom had ALS. It was really hard to get her to the hospital to a doctor's appointment. Thank God for telehealth. And thank, thankfully, we had, you know, home health that could come into our house and take care of some of the, the the kind of continuity of care that she needed alongside, you know, her daily care that we were able to administer for her, her ADLs. And so I think that's what we have to evaluate as, um, as healthcare uh, leaders to understand that we have to approach people where they're at. And at the end of the day, patients are in charge of their own bodies and their care, right? So I think at our core, we really just want to make sure that we're complementing um, and understanding their needs and then giving them the best options that they can to make the best decisions about themselves. And that's what we're trying to do here with bridging all of these different content perspectives is to give people a a very broad understanding of what is happening in this in this great environment of change, uh, and and helping them identify 
their own strategies, their own solutions to move their organizations forward in a way that's just going to positively make people healthier. Because everybody has the same desire. I've never met a healthcare leader or worker that didn't care about people. I never have. And uh, and I think that is one of the beauties that this event bringing together leaders um, it, it showcases the kindness, the compassion, the understanding, and the humility that they bring to the equation. And, and it makes me very proud to be a part of that. But I think it's it's a, a common reminder that we have to understand what our, our, our patients want from us um, and help deliver that in the best way possible. Yeah, for listeners out there, and thank you, David, for that. I, I agree with you, Ani. It's interesting. The University of Colorado did a study that we've been utilizing a lot And what it showed is sometimes we think we know what the patient wants and the family and we don't. And and in fact, they showed that 75% of the time we might not be on the same page or on the same page, but not the same sentence. So one of the things we've been recommending is just to ask the patient, what is your biggest concern or worry right now? You know, my mother who passed away um, in July of this year, her concern and worry would change from day to day, time to time. Sometimes it's, when am I going to get the lab report? Sometimes it's, when is this going to be available? Sometimes can I afford it? Um, And I also think is with all the new leaders, we ask new leaders, what's your biggest change, concern or worry? And this might surprise some people, but for nurse managers, what we heard all the time is, we just need help scheduling. We've never scheduled in a non-COVID. So if we don't ask the question, we don't get the answer instead of guessing. So I, I love what you just said about keying in on where the patient is at or where the employee at is where the leader is at, where the physician is at at that point in time to find out what can I what can I do for you right now? And that's sometimes what we have to do. So um, there's some other sessions you're excited about. I'm sure this one's going to get a lot of attention. Um, you have um, people from Morgan Health Ventures. You have... Um, the Health Assurance Transformation Corporation, and I bet you that'll be a packed house. So tell us about that one. That will be a packed house because we're actually doing this as a plenary with no other session alongside it. We have not had um, Cheryl Pegas, who is the Managing Director for Morgan Health, which many on this um, podcast will recognize, uh, is someone that is really knowledgeable about the landscape. And we have never had Cheryl speak at our conference, so I'm thrilled that she's joining us. And she is going to join us alongside Mark Harrison. Um, Dr. Mark Harrison, who was the CEO of Intermountain Health before, is now at the Health Assurance Transformation Corporation. So I think um, with that, uh, hopefully the dogs didn't uh, impact us too much. It even made you seem warmer, David. I mean, you're a warm guy anyway, but... Okay, great. Well, I am a warm guy. No, Jamie Arlikoff used to always hold a dog up when he gave bad news. So um, (laughs) you're giving all good news. Everybody loves your humanness. Super. Well, you know, I think the thing that they're going to talk about, which I'm thrilled for our audience, is to really distill to what's happening today? How can you prepare for it? What is private equity doing? What are for-profits doing? What are the different venture capital groups doing with their innovative technologies? How are they going to impact you as a hospital provider and healthcare leader? And what can you do to navigate that to the best potential possible? So talking again about that disruptor doesn't equal bad. It can be a great partnership for your future and a solution for your for your, your, your strategic planning, a solution for understanding how to navigate your own workforce, your environment, all of those dimensions. And so I think that's going to be fantastic and sustainable um, to helping people understand what they need to, to deploy in their own 
organizations. Well, as we wrap up, David, I just want to pretty excited. You got 5,000 plus healthcare people showing up. You got 320 plus expert. They're speakers, but they're more than speakers. They're presenters, they're educators, they're providing intellectual capital. The one beautiful thing about your your conference is the hallway conversations, the luncheon conversations. You know, you're not going to hear someone and then they're going to usually they're not going to hop in a plane and you'll never see them again. Almost. I'd say out of 320, 310 of them will be hanging around probably for most of the conference. And some of those learnings, I find people sometimes are way more comfortable having a conversation with you in the hallway or somewhere else. And just asking you a question that they might not want to ask in front of everybody. And you've got 150 um, networking sessions, you know, and I love that this, this three C's connect with industry experts and ACHE faculty, collaborate with like-minded colleagues and grow your own network, and even collaborate with some non-like-minded colleagues, but maybe get to the point where you can collaborate and create, I think, just valuable opportunities for your teams, your organization, your community. Because you know, if you want better outcomes, you got to have better skills. And that's Absolutely. what you're talking about. So I think you guys have done just a phenomenal job. And David, um, thank you for what you do for healthcare. You touch so many people through your educational programs at ACHE. Well, thank you, Quint. And, uh, you know, it's our pleasure to to have you there with Catherine. And um, we're looking forward to it. It's a great and friendly environment. It's probably the friendliest conference I've ever been to. And um, and those hallway conversations are a lot. They're meaningful. And uh, thanks for, for having them with others. So how do people get more information? I'm sure they might have it, but just give them a little tip on where they can go. Sure. You can always get more information about the conference on um, ACHE.org. It's called the Congress on Healthcare Leadership. I think we're in our 67th year. And I believe we have over 3,500 people registered now. So, you know, definitely orienting to that 5,000 plus and we're happy for it. I think, too, people do have to register because I think not only do they register for the conference, but don't they register for pre-register for sessions? They do. So that's absolutely right. So some of the sessions I talked about, and there's a whole host of other great, phenomenal sessions, um, they will be part of your registration process. So as you think about going, it it probably is a timely thing to think about it now and to um, select those sessions that are most meaningful to you. And certainly the networking is, um, it is going to have lots of availability. So uh, that plus the hallway conversations on top of the content will be great. You have so many great things. I know um, there's going to be bookstores available, books. Absolutely. I hear you guys are sort of introducing a new bookstore this year at the conference, aren't you? We are. We're introducing a, a, a broader bookstore uh, concept and we'll have your book there. And I believe we'll we'll have some signings and, um, and other activities, uh, meet the authors. And I think that's also a nice thing. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, writing books and delivering content, one of the things people like to do is speak to the speakers and speak to the authors and so we give a good place for that to do in a non-commercial environment. And I think that's what's key is giving people a safe space to ask the questions they want to, to learn what they want to learn. Well, the ACHE does a great job with bringing intellectual capital to the in publishing. Again, for many people, that might be what they can do if they can't get to places, do places. But I think the beauty about your conference is it's not just for big players. It's for anybody that's in this space from rural to small. It's just a, a you have a big tent there at ACHE. 
Absolutely. I mean, we even have students. We have, you know, students and student administrative fellowship fair. We go all the way to the early careers, mid-careers. There's something for everyone. Um, and we cap we capstone it with the v, with the federal sector. So Thursday is historically geared towards the federal sector, the VA, the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. And so we're really thrilled um, even to have the undersecretary there this year on Thursday. So I, I think there's just some great, great, great speakers, great content, great opportunities. And it's a good place to just connect with others, which is so critical. I think those early careerists, those students bring such energy, such energy to the event. They they certainly make the networking session a little bit louder. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for taking time to be on this podcast. And thank you and all of people at ACHE for getting ready to put on just an incredible conference. Thanks, Quint. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. For more free resources and to access latest books, articles, and industry insights, visit www.healthcareplussg.com. Plus, for a limited time, visit our website to download a free copy of Rewiring Excellence written by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue the journey to make healthcare better for caregivers, patients, and communities.